0: Of the things that really struck me about the early days of the pandemic was how similar it felt in times to the end-of-life experience, kind of parallel, right? Everybody's minding their own business, and then all of a sudden something happens, and the end-of-life experience, there's a diagnosis of some sort, and then everybody's got to reconfigure, okay, so what do we do now? future is thrown completely out the window. I would get all these emails that said, in these uncertain times and during these uncertain times, I was like, well, when were they ever certain? We wake up every morning not knowing if we will take another breath or if we'll make it home from work or if we'll see our kid again. Nothing has ever been certain. It's life. Nobody ever knows. I would love it if everybody would look themselves in the mirror once a day and repeat out loud three times, I am going to die. I am going to die, I am going to die. Every single day, nothing terrible is gonna happen. No ghost is gonna come out the mirror. You might get a little uncomfortable, but reminding ourselves that none of this is permanent, that all of this is temporary, to me is a nice set point for determining what matters. My name is Eloa Arthur. I live in Los Angeles, California, and I'm a death doula, which is a non-medical holistic care and support person for the dying person and the family through the process. I ended up doing this work through a mix of different ways. I mean, at its core is incredible serendipity. After taking a medical leave of absence from my job for depression, I was searching for some meaning. I was searching for something, but I didn't know what I ended up in Cuba after essentially following all the little breadcrumbs that life gives us. And it led me to this bus sitting next to a German woman who was a fellow traveler, who was just two years older than I, who had uterine cancer. And we talked a lot about her life. We also talked about her death. I asked her some, in retrospect, very bold questions about you know, what her life's meaning would hold if this disease is what killed her. We talked a lot about what was still undone in her life, what she wanted out of life that she hadn't gotten yet or hadn't done yet, or, you know, we went there. And during this bus ride, I started asking the same questions of myself and got really clear that the person I want to meet on my deathbed is not the person I was currently showing up as. And also secondarily, that people struggle with the idea of their death. Some people struggle with the idea of their death. Some people struggle with the idea of somebody else's death. Nobody in her family or her friends weren't really open to having the discussion about the fact that she might be dying from this illness. So that was one of the first time she'd done it. and I thought that was really sad to me, especially as it's not a secret. It's the only thing any of us can be certain of in life. We should be talking about it, we should be preparing ourselves for it. We should be in the process of it. So when I looked at myself on the deathbed, I imagine a woman who has lived like really richly, who has explored parts of her being, who has been committed to growth, who has been loving and present and joyful, but most importantly, purposeful. And in my career, prior to becoming a death doula, I was a lawyer and I was not full of purpose. Granted, I was doing social justice work. I was doing domestic violence work. I was helping low-income communities get some economic stability, but it didn't fill all parts of my spirit. And there were also parts of myself that I felt that I had to throw away. I am a super sensitive person, very, very sensitive, highly empathic, and I would cry. And apparently it's not so cute to be crying in court. Um, I'd like, try to rush myself off to the bathroom before I broke out in tears sometimes. Um, also the pressure of the job wasn't very good for me. So I was just kind of like making it through, but I was not full. So that's who I wanted to meet. And realize that in order to meet that person, I have to make the changes now, since I don't know when that end will come. So many things draw me to working in death. I am insatiably curious about humans. I'm just, I'm nosy. I love to ask questions. I want to get all up in somebody's life. And honoring somebody at their death necessarily means that we're honoring the totality of their lived experience because we're putting a period on the end of this life at this point. So people have stories. They are these like really quirky, complex beings. Every little last one of us got some serious nuance. And I really enjoy the opportunities to honor the nuance of the life that they've lived while they're dying. Also... It's a sad time. It can be hard and heavy and difficult. And how much better is it when there is somebody who knows what they're talking about, who can listen, provide resources, and just be an extra ear, but also be an extra set of hands, you know, to run errands or offer up paperwork or help get the deathbed set up. I also do some end-of-life planning consultations, and that can be a difficult subject for folks as well just even conceive of the end of their lives, because I work with healthy people as well. And then for those that are close to the end of life, really honoring the fullness of the life itself and also being a support person. When being present with somebody whose life is soon coming to an end, it's hard not to think about how much I am taking for granted. Because here's somebody who now is very clear about their limited time. Granted, we are all on limited time, okay? But here's somebody who's so clearly looking at the end of their lives when the things that they enjoyed, they will no longer be able to, the people that they love, they're going to have to release and let go. They're leaving behind the only home and place that they've ever known for big, vast, great unknown or nothing at all. We don't know. And being present with somebody there just keeps reminding me that I still live like when when life leaves a body just like that because life hangs on a breath it instantly reminds me that I still have the power of breath I still for now at least this moment have the time the opportunity to say I love you to eat the potato chips to do whatever feels most full and right for me. Not anybody else, for me. But it makes me feel so, so alive, so alive. Heart beating, breathing, thinking, feeling, smelling, sensing, loving, touching, alive. And coping with the grief in my job is a skill. I grieve all the time, I grieve for my clients, I grieve with them, my friends, my clients die regularly, so it's just, it's woven into the fabric of the work, but it is only matched and counterbalanced by the incredible joy and the aliveness of doing the work, otherwise it would just be all like awful and sad and horrible all the time. But in all things, you know, light and dark, life and death, sorrow and surprise, there's the duality in it, and the the love counterbalances the the grief. Even though this is the work that I do around death and dying, grief and loss, in thinking broadly about the past year, it also hit me hard. It was just an ongoing daily tickler of how many people were dead in parts of the world. Italy has this many dead, Sweden has that many dead, the United States this many dead. Death, 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 everywhere. And everybody had to look at it. I spent days on the couch sitting with the suffering of other people and eventually had to pull my head out of my ass and get to work because I have gifts that were helpful during this time. And I just had to get out of my own way to start doing them. But I met a lot of resistance within myself because I just wanted to grieve. I just wanted to grieve. And I did it, and then got to work. So, in addition to being with clients and being bedside and doing end of life planning consultations with healthy people, I also run a death doula training program. I couldn't tell you exactly how much of an uptick there was, but I'll put it this way: in January of 2020, I had 27, 28 students in a group training course in let's see that would have been august of course we had 48 students in 12 countries that's almost double a number of students directly pinpointed the pandemic as a reason for their interest in becoming death doulas, or people had said, I've been thinking about it for a while, and now all we do is talk about death, or had a great conversation with my mom about a ventilator and what she might want, and that's what led them to start thinking about helping other people prepare for death and dying. And also, in May, after George Floyd was killed, there was also an, an uptick in people interested in Learning how to do death and dying. I think that folks also saw maybe an opportunity to attack systemic racism from various sectors. There's an application that the students fill out to get into the course. We don't just take anybody. Although, if I had my drummers, everybody in the world would get death through the training because most of us are going to do it at some point. But there was a student who answered the question, When was the last death you witnessed? Uh, The response was George Floyd. And I thought, Yeah. People also watched a man die. Millions of people watched a man die. Death is now on the world's mind, and there are other ways to do it than the way that we've been doing it, and people are ready.